welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. After that, just wonderful sense of God's presence during the worship. I just want to pray as Peter comes up and speaks to us. Father, I just thank you for your touch on our hearts this morning, Lord, preparing us, Lord. And we want to come with uh, humility this morning, Lord, to hear your word. I pray, Lord God, that you will change us, challenge us, and just help us to be courageous. But Father, I, I pray that we will see that there are choices. I pray for revelation, Lord, as we come to your word this morning. But Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning, touching our heart, preparing us, because you are a good God. You tolerate our silliness, but you don't tolerate sin. But you dealt with it, Lord, so that we may be able to come to you and know your presence, Lord. Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. So, um, um, as you know, we're, we're doing a series on Joshua. Oh, I think some of the young ones are going out with Emily. Um, and um, we're, we're doing this series. And so um, at Christmas, I, I, I sat down to read Joshua because I thought it's really important that I've actually read the book again recently. And I know what God's saying uh, through Joshua so that I can be involved in, in preaching and in, in teaching what's going on from it. And um, as I um, sat down to prepare, I was going to read through the whole thing. I'd got a notebook out and, uh, and I was all ready. And, um, and I got stuck in chapter one. And I couldn't actually kind of move on from chapter one. And um, the thing that got me, um, I've got our first slide, um, was about half a tribe. And, um, and there was this danger and a blessing that came through a half tribe. And I got stuck with this and God spoke to me really clearly about it. And, and I tried to read on through Joshua and I, and I couldn't get any further because I had to keep coming back to this one bit. And so I want to share um, what God, I believe, um, is saying to us um, from this first chapter. And um, as I speak this morning, I think it kind of ties together the three last weeks uh, that we've had. We had um, Phil, first of all, speaking about where are we going and then, um, and then we had Vicky um, speaking um, from the beginning of Joshua, giving us an introduction. And then Phil kind of carried on with that last week. And I want to tie those three things, the themes that they spoke about together. And I think, um, I hope that that's going to be really useful. I would describe my talk this morning as a prophetic provocation. And um, so you could describe that as a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. Um, I'm hoping it won't be that painful, but um, I do believe um, God wants to say some stuff to us that is challenging this morning. So, first of all, we're going to read from Joshua. I'm reading from the New Living and going to read the second half of the chapter, which is verses 10 to 18. So it says, Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. 
In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he told them, remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God is giving you a place of rest. He has given you this land. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the River Jordan. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan and help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has given you rest, and until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. Only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River, in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. And they answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. Flip me. It's a fairly strong word, isn't it? And really clear, you're going to go and you're going to move from here to here. And actually, what we're going to see is uh, something um, amazing. God's going to give you this land. And um, the big question is, how do they respond to all of this? And I want to speak about that. The thing I couldn't get over was a half-tribe of Manasseh. And I couldn't get my head around, how could there be half a tribe? Now, um, Manasseh was the, the firstborn of Jacob, and so um, he was kind of the longest established of all of the tribes, and actually it was the biggest tribe. And um, Joshua speaks to them, and he speaks to these three tribes and says, you're going to move. And um, I, I wonder what you think about, well, why were they half a tribe? That seems really odd. He refers to the other tribes by name, but he refers to Manasseh as the half-tribe. What's going on? just seemed really odd. And as I kind of pondered this, this is um, when God was speaking to me. So we've got a little map, and um, you probably can't see from back there, but um, there's kind of a brownie-colored bit um, over by... Um, the Great Sea, it says, the Mediterranean. Um, but then to the right of that, we've got East Manasseh. So we've got two brown bits, both called Manasseh, Manasseh and East Manasseh. And um, this is um, a picture from um, where the different tribes were being sent as um, Joshua commands them to go and take the land. So they'd been on their journey, they'd been around the desert, um, we've heard all that story, and uh, there they are. They're on the east side of the River Jordan, so up there where it says East Manasseh. And they're being commanded to go across the Jordan and take the land. Now, that bit up there, which um, we'd call Syria these days, 
is actually fairly nicely wooded. It's quite a nice area. It's fairly fertile. So they've been in the desert, and they arrive in this place which is fertile, provides for their needs. And they settle down. They're kind of, this is quite nice. And then Joshua comes across and says, actually, three days' time, we're going. And I want, you know, all of you who are able, all the men, I want you to all come with me. We're going to conquer the other side. And I wonder how they reacted. Because I don't believe he commanded half a tribe to go. Well, we found out that um, actually this was written some time later, and there's, there's a big discussion about whether Joshua wrote this himself at the end of his life, or whether actually this was written by um, people like King Josiah, you know, quite a long way in the future. But they told the stories, and actually what was written down was half a tribe. But I don't think Joshua went and went, well, half of your tribe, I want you to move. He actually, he will have said, Manasseh, you're one of the tribes, I want you to go. But as it's written down, it's written down the half-tribe. And I think that's because actually they didn't go. A lot of them didn't leave because they were really comfy where they were. Thank you very much. We don't need to move because we're quite happy. Comfy. Why bother? And I think it's written as the half-tribe, almost as a warning and as a remembering for those future generations that there were a tribe who didn't listen to what they were told. And if you look at the maps that come later, they don't exist. So there's half a tribe who disappear. And they disappear because actually they just get swallowed up into all the other tribes around. Because they lose their identity. Because they didn't go where God commanded them to go. And as such, they went from being the biggest tribe to only being half a tribe. And so as it's written down, it's written as the half tribe as a remembering of what they did and the outcome of what happened. Now, to get that bit on the the east there, they'd conquered Og, the king of Bashan. I love the name Og. And uh, they'd conquered this area, and um, they'd, you know, that's where they were. They were quite happy. And they were being told to go across. Now, You might think going across to the other side might have been better. They'd have been going across to an area which is very fertile. They'd have been going across to an area which borders a really beautiful bit of the Mediterranean Sea with golden beaches. Really, really lovely place. This is where um, a lot of Israel is now, and this is where loads of people go on holiday because it's beautiful. But instead, they wanted to stay where they were. Now, um, I, um, I love being by the ocean. And um, um, I, I love the song, Cake by the Ocean. 
People know that one by DNCE or dance. And actually being by the ocean makes me want to kind of dance. And, and I'm excited to be by the ocean. But I'm not. I'm in the middle of England. As far away from the sea as we can get. And I'm here. It wouldn't be my heart to be landlocked in the middle of a country. My heart would be to be by the ocean. If you said, go live anywhere that you fancy, although I love the hills, I love the ocean more. And uh, I, um, I remember a couple of years ago, um, just lying by the ocean, listening to that song, Cake by the Ocean, and I just thought, you know, that's where I'd love to be, eating cake, lying on the beach, by the ocean. And I wonder if, you know, uh, the the people um, of Manasseh, this is how they felt. Not about the ocean, but about being in the forests and the hills. They were really comfy. That was their desire. They didn't want to move, actually, because they were comfy where they were, and they didn't want to go somewhere different. And I wonder how they felt down the generations being known as the half-tribe, being known as... The disobedient ones. They'd, um, they'd been there and um, Joshua had gone up to, to where Og was in the land of Bashan. And he'd gone and, and he came back and he said, you know, they're all giants up there. They're absolutely massive. We felt like grasshoppers. Who remembers me preaching about the grasshopper mentality? Must be 10 years ago now, anyone at all, one or two in the room. And, um, and so I didn't preach for about a year after that because I was, I was told it was bad. But effectively, it was a very similar message to today. And um, the, they'd, you know, Joshua had gone off and he came back and he went, you know, we felt like grasshoppers. It was really difficult up there. And, um, and they said, if you ever try and take us to that land... We will kill you. And they're there in that land, having conquered it. And he says, I want you to move. And I wonder how they felt, how that fitted with this grasshopper mentality that they had, that we are not a powerful people. We can't do anything. And God's then taken them. They've conquered this land. They feel really comfy. And then Joshua says, yeah, but I want you to go again. I want you to go and take somewhere different because actually this isn't the bit of land that God's given you. Your bit's over there. And they're thinking, I don't want to go. I'm really happy. They were probably thinking about, well, well, what's it been like? You know, we've wandered for 40 years in the desert. Maybe if we cross, we're going to end up in a deserty place once again. And we're going to wander nomadically. I want to... You know, I'm happy being settled. I've just built a house. I don't want to go. And so there's this kind of mentality of, I'll not bother. I'm quite comfy. And I don't think we can afford to have that kind of mentality. It says in Joshua 17... Verses 12 and 13, this is from the message. The people of Manasseh never were able to take over these towns. The Canaanites wouldn't budge. 
But later, when the Israelites got stronger, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. But they never got rid of them. That was their legacy. Because they didn't go and take the land that God told them to take. And I believe if God says, if we settle down, we die. I believe he says, we go on mission and there's blessings of fertile lands. We get the ocean. We get fertile lands. We can go in partnership with others. He says, you know, don't just go with you as a tribe. He actually sends three tribes, go conquer that area. I think, you know, there's land to take and it might be in partnership with others. But they had to go, not just a few. They all had to cross the Jordan. Matthew 5 verse 10 says, you are the salt of the earth. It doesn't say you might be the salt of the earth. Jesus doesn't say that. It doesn't say you could be the salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth. If you are the salt, it's your job to preserve. And Jesus says you are the salt. And if you're not salty, you've got no purpose. He's really clear. And that's who we are, the people of God. We are that salt that goes and flavors our communities, changes, preserves. A couple of weeks ago, um, we talked about, um, during the meeting, about being lukewarm. And I think this isn't, I'm not talking about being lukewarm here, although being lukewarm doesn't help, does it? It's the saying, no, actually, I'll not bother. I, I remember I shared about being lukewarm as well when, when Phil was giving his introduction to this. And the half-tribe is essentially a, a similar warning, really, to us. They understood what he was saying, but they didn't understand the implication of what he was saying when he said go. They didn't realize that in time they were going to lose their identity and actually not do what it was that God had for them. It says this about the lukewarmness in Revelation 3. It says, I know all the things that you do. This is Jesus speaking to the church of Philadelphia. That you're neither hot nor cold and I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. Does that kind of strike a bell with the people of Manasseh? And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, is Jesus' response to that, that feeling. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, and you'll be rich. Buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline those I love. So be diligent. Turn from your indifference. Look, I stand and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat 
with my father on his throne. Jesus says, don't don't go in with half an attitude. Don't be lukewarm. Go for it. Give it everything. Phil said last week, if you don't use your prophetic gift, you rob others and yourself of a blessing. And I want to ask you, which half are you? Would you stay because it's comfy or would you go? There's a clash there, right? isn't there? Will you stay or will you go? Only a few of you got that reference, I'm sure. But there's a clash. Because actually, we want to do one thing. Our heart might be cake by the ocean. But actually, God says, don't get comfy, because I've got a job for you. Vicky, last week, said we can have three responses to the command that we have as a church to go and take the Peak District. First one's yes, I'm doing that, no question, I'm going for it. Second one's no, that's completely terrifying, I won't do it. And the third one is, oh, that's nice, and you move on. And that's the half-tribe response. We need to face the future with faith and courage. Phil, when he was speaking, said, our past experience can hinder us moving forward. You know, their experience was of wandering around the desert for 40 years. That was their past experience. So when God says, go do something different, Go and move somewhere else when they were already quite comfy. They were struggling. But there's no going back with God. We see that time and time in the Old Testament, don't we? The people who looked back on what happened to them. We can inherit things from the past, but actually we enjoy them in the future. Phil shared from Hebrews 6, verse 12. And he said, instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. But he didn't read the first half of the verse. And the first half is relevant. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. And I think that's our danger. We settle because actually we're comfortable and we become dull and indifferent, and we make no difference. We are not salty anymore. This is our um, um, kind of uh, mission statement. It's on our website, and I just wanted to put it up and remind you of it. So the purpose of Church in the Peak, we exist to worship God, encounter his presence, committed to advancing his kingdom through local church communities, caught up in mission here and to the nations. That here is the Peak District. And, um, and I, I wonder what that looks like. We've, we've been living with this prophetic word that when we secure Matlock, we will take the peaks. It was a word that was spoken a number of years ago. And it's looking 
like we're starting to secure some bits of backlog. And that's exciting. But actually, that leads us to look further. So what have we done as a church? Well, there's actually three churches, aren't there, in Church in the Peak? But none of them are in the Peak District. Here in Matlock, we've got the biggest toddler group. Fantastic. Loads of people from outside the church coming in every week. We've got one of the biggest worship facilities in Matlock. It's lovely, isn't it? It's nice to come to. We probably have the best conference function in Matlock because there isn't anywhere else that you can really go and conference like here. We need it to be used, but we have a lovely facility. We are, this church, we are the social action for Matlock. Okay? We're doing a whole load of stuff, and that's great. But in that place, we can just feel very comfy. Because it feels very settled and nice. But what are we going to do? So um, Phil talks about um, giving for mission. One of the missional things that we want to do, we want to see Hurst Farm, that huge estate that's just there. We want to see them one for Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. Excellent. Got somebody with us. And um, so um, in the spring, we're going to have um, a fun day and uh, we're going to, you know, do some really good stuff up there. We need to speak to some of the people on Hearst Farm. We need to work out what that's going to look like um, and how we're going to do it together. But we want to provide for them a fun day where we start to break down some of the barriers that there are between that fence, you know, that side and this side, because we want to see them one. And if that's going to happen, we need to go over there and they need to come over here. We've got a youth drop-in. Emily's doing an amazing job. She's out with the youth because I should be doing that this morning. She stepped in to sort me out. And, um, but we don't just want a youth drop-in. We want a proper youth group that's impacting the teenagers of this area. So there's a way to go. We want new groups around the around the, the kind of the whole area that we cover, we'd love this year to start three new groups. We've got an idea where we'd like to start them. But we want to see that happen through the year. And the thing is, we can't do that. The elders don't have the ability to just go start all these things because we kind of smeared a bit too thin if that happens. Actually, we want you to start three new groups. We want you to develop what we're doing with the youth. We want to see you changing who we are here. Our passion is that we go to the towns and the villages and that then we go to the ends of the earth. So there's an invitation to go on a journey. Who's going to cross the Jordan? It's going to be a small party. Yeah? So if there's just me and Kirsty, we're in trouble, I'm afraid, because we need more of you. So I want to ask you, are you a pew filler or are you an activist who's going to take the land? What are you going to do to help fulfill the prophecy that says we're going to take 
Matlock and we're going to take the Peak District for Jesus. What are you going to do? What's your part in that? I don't think the answer is I'm going to stay behind and look after the livestock. That's not the challenge from Jesus today. He says, what are you going to do? What does that look like? So I finish up with the first slide. The half tribe. There's a danger and there's a blessing. The danger is we sit there and we stay in the land that we've been given because it's comfy, it's nice, and we ever are known as half a tribe because we never fulfilled what it was that God asked us to do. And we get swallowed up, we lose our identity, and we make no impact. Or, the blessing, we go where God has asked us to go, and we get cake by the ocean. And I believe he tells us to cross the Jordan as a full tribe. And go and take the land. So, I want to ask you again. Who's with me on the journey? If you're with me, and you want to help take this land, I want you to stand up. I was just reading this this morning um, from Christianity magazine that's just popped through the letterbox. And uh, there's an interview with Francis Chan. And uh, he says in it, One of the worst things that can happen is for life to be easy and comfortable. Now, as you stand, it's a stand to realize that actually life might not be easy and comfortable. Taking the land isn't easy because sometimes you have to leave what you know and go and do something different. So standing is a bold thing. But I believe there is a blessing in doing what you've done. So I want to encourage you to get into some small little groups around the room. No one said this was going to be easy. Okay? I want you to just get into some small groups now, please. And uh, I want you to share with each other what is the thing that you believe God's saying to you in taking the land. You might not have a clue what your place is in taking the land. You know what? But God knows exactly what he wants to do with you. He knows how he wants to use you to take the land. So if you don't know, you've got a God who does. So I want us to speak to each other, pray for one another, and actually let's take this land together. As I said, it's not for me to go and take the land. Joshua didn't go with them and cross the Jordan. Okay? He sent them. And I can't do this. Joshua couldn't do it. It was the people who did what they did. And so together we can do this. So let's um, get together in some small groups. And um, I just want you to share with one another what you believe God's saying to you and start to pray for one another. (laughs) 
I have um, a couple of um, people who who want to kind of just share something, and um, and I think that will aid us as we um, as we think about what it is that God has for us. Um, so, Marion, you're the first one. So, if everyone could just um, just hear what Marion has to say. All through the worship, um, I just saw uh, a picture um, of hell. It didn't sound very nice. And I've seen, you know, pictures of how people imagine hell. And uh, it's all very nasty and horrible, scary faces and people in torment. And I saw this. um, And I saw a very vulnerable little twee Easter-style lamb standing at the gates of hell Um, because we were singing about Jesus being the lamb of God and the bible says he didn't open his mouth to defend himself he was like a lamb to the slaughter and I thought well how could a lamb with wobbly legs stand before the horrendous gates of hell and the answer came straight away because he knew who he was he knew he wasn't just the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. He was almighty God, almighty king forever. He knew inside the visible lamb that others saw who he really was. And then God said, he reminded me that some mornings I feel like a lamb and my legs are quite wobbly. I go up and down emotionally. But then God said, and I've gone and lost it. Can someone give me? Yes. No, no, because I want to read the whole thing. 1 Peter 2, 9. I'm not much caught with phones. He's got it. This is what God said. I might look like a wobbly lamb and my legs might wobble. And, and this, I think, is for this, this word. It's in order to go forward with God, we need to know who we are. We are not really vulnerable little wobbly-legged lambs before the enemy, before the gates of hell. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. If we're honest, there's probably a bit of Manessa in all of us. <coughs> comfy is nice. Uh, and comfy is probably, for most of us, not all, but for most of us, is the default position where we'd like to be. Now, there are some that that doesn't apply to, and that's great for you. But I know my, my default position is probably comfy. And uh, God's calling us out. And uh, in that, he, the whole of Joshua 1 is be strong and courageous. That's what it's all about. And that's what God is calling us. And, uh, you know, you can stand here and you can think, what can I do? 
But God is calling you out. And what God is saying is that it is not you doing it by yourself. He is with you. The prophetic word earlier on that I had is that you come behind the standard. You step behind the standard. God is with you. And it's not you doing this in your own strength. It's God doing it. But it's you standing there and saying, I'm stepping out. I'm stepping forward. I'm going to come out of my comfort zone. I'm standing with you, God. And you're making a declaration to the enemy, to yourself, and to God. And that is powerful. Um, when Neil was talking, and he was talking about the armies, and there's part of me that went, actually, sometimes the army is yourself that you're fighting. You can be your own enemy. I've struggled with depression for ever since I can remember. And I can literally shred myself in under 60 seconds into there's no point doing anything whatsoever. You might as well go to bed and sleep because there's that much point in you trying anything, except you're no good at that either. So it ends up being nothing. And fighting yourself is virtually impossible because you know your own arguments. So you need God to come in and give you a different perspective. And then it's really easy when you feel like that to go to the default position of apathy and I don't care because that's safe. Because then you don't have to do anything either. So nothing bad's going to happen because you're used to bad happening. But if you go to not doing anything, then everything happens around you and to you. But you have no say over it because it just happens because you're sat there doing nothing. And God's just like, actually... You need me, and you need to stop doing that and to look at my perspective. And don't let the good that can happen pass because of the bad that has happened in the past. So we're going to, um, we're going to finish there. I think um, God's spoken clearly through the different words that have been spoken. Uh, I know when Steve shared earlier on, he shared exactly the same thing. And um, so God's speaking and he's, he's encouraging us to, to move forward, take land together. And um, so as you go off into your week, I want to encourage you to pray into that. And as God speaks, if you've got stuff that you think, okay, I think this is where God's taken us. This is where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do. Come and tell us so that we know what's going on. And um, I want to encourage you to, um, together, to take the land. So in your small groups, you know, pray into this stuff and see what God's saying.